0: 28 to three. Now, if you don't know what those numbers mean, um, I'm an Atlanta Falcons guy, and nobody knows about comebacks like Falcons fans. That was the score, the lead that the Falcons had in the Super Bowl before stinking Tom Brady, It's the biggest amen I'm gonna get all morning. And the Patriots orchestrated the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history to beat the Falcons. So I want you to know I am well acquainted with being on the wrong side of comebacks. And yet I believe that God is constantly working to get every single one of us, all of us, on the right side of a comeback. And maybe a comeback is just what you need. Maybe your marriage needs a comeback or your family or your career needs a comeback. Maybe you need a comeback from your past or from pain or disappointment or from hurt and heartache. Maybe you need a comeback from some bad attitudes or some addiction. Maybe after a year of pandemic worry, you feel like you need a comeback to yourself anybody feel like that i believe that any comeback is possible for you because i believe in easter but i have a problem with easter Now That doesn't sound good for the pastor to have a problem with Easter, right? I should be kind of like the one in the room that's all for it. No, I just, I love Easter. I love it if you can't tell by the jacket. I love Easter. But there is a paradox that pastors struggle with every single Easter, okay? And here's the paradox that we struggle. On the day we host the most skeptics, we declare what's most skeptical, right? See, the Christians, we're like super excited about Easter. We say, it is risen. risen. See, we even have like phraseology, and if you're new to church, you're like, what did they just say, what happened? Because we're super excited, we're bouncing off the walls, and yet there are many on Easter Sunday who were tuning in, maybe you're watching from your back porch on this beautiful day, or in your living room, or you're in the room and you've joined us today for the first time and and we're so honored that you have, but you're not really sure where you're at in your faith. It's the day that we have the most guests watching or in the room who are um, maybe seeking out where they're at with Jesus, with God. They're not sure what they believe about the Bible and maybe that's you. Maybe you came because a friend or family member invited you and you figured if you'd come for Easter, they'd finally leave you alone or maybe The pandemic in the last year has made you have some serious questions about faith and about life. Maybe you came simply because you were promised food afterwards. Someone will take your picture. Or maybe it was the reason that is a really good reason in the South to come to church on Easter. Mama said so. And if mama said so, that's just what you do. But we can't deny the fact that it is one of those days and one of those reasons, one of those times that that there's a lot of people in the room that aren't sure what they believe. And on a day like that, that we could preach something a little more palatable. But since it's Easter, and since so many of you are here and so many of you are watching, I thought I would clear things up about what Christianity is all about. You see, Christianity is not about what Jesus did while he lived. G- Christianity is about what Jesus did after he died. Now, that's kind of interesting because most people don't do anything after they die because they're dead. But we believe that Jesus didn't stay dead. So if you're wondering why this big, what's this big deal about Easter, if you're new to faith or, or you kind of got some questions, here's what you need to know. No Easter, no Christianity. If there's no Easter, there's no Christianity. Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, we believe is the tipping point in human history. That it is why we believe that Jesus was not just a great teacher and not just a great prophet. Why we believe that he was God in the flesh. But I wanna just tell you, I get that it's a pretty outlandish thing for us to believe. And I have a theory, okay? I believe that there are even some regular churchgoers who aren't sure what they think about the literal and physical resurrection of Jesus. And if you're new to church and if you're new to faith, this is the biggest issue that you probably have. You don't disagree with the teachings of Jesus, you probably agree with a lot of those. It's these supernatural claims about him these supernatural claims that seem so outlandish. Well, before I read one of those accounts of this supernatural thing that we believe, I want to talk about just briefly why you should take this account seriously in the first place if you consider yourself a skeptic when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. This book over here is a just typical 10th or 11th grade world history book. Anybody, any, we got any uh, students taking world history right now? Anybody, we got a world history there, right? It's got a section on Alexander the Great. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? He was credited with saving Western civilization. He was tutored by Aristotle, uh, undefeated in battle. It's unbelievable. He, his most famous victory was over the Persians. His military tactics are still studied by our military academies in the U.S. Now, most of what we know about Alexander is from five sources, but three of those are kind of more like generic Greek history books the two main sources who wrote biographies of Alexander that would be the, the source from what you would read in a, just a typical history book were written by two guys named Arian and Plutarch. Arian wrote a book called The Conquest of Alexander that that's kind of translated into English what it means, The Wars and Conquest of Alexander. And Plutarch wrote a book called Parallel Lives, which was short biographies about different rulers uh, and leaders and kings and, and Caesars in Rome and in Greece they were both written about 400 years after Alexander died and do you know how many manuscripts we have of arian and plutarch's works combined 10 10 copies of the original manuscripts just 10 manuscripts Now what this book seems to say about Alexander is it kind of talks about him as fact and have you ever questioned if Alexander was actually a real person and if he did what our history books really say that he did? What would you say about Jesus if that was the kind of evidence we had for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Speaking of Jesus, let's talk about him. Jesus was written about in all kinds of other works besides what we call the Bible. There was a Roman historian named Tacitus who wrote about Jesus of Nazareth. There was a great Jewish historian named Josephus who wrote about Jesus. But the the most important documents that talk about Jesus' life is what we call the New Testament. Now, the New Testament isn't just one book or one work. It's 27 books written by nine different authors, many of which actually knew Jesus and written anywhere from between 30 to 70 years after Jesus' death, And resurrection now I just want you to guess how many manuscripts there are of the New Testament any guesses what you got come on somebody say something out loud five a hundred thousand how many is in each one of these 500 there's ten in the boxes there's one more coming So there's how many in each box? 5,000 if there's 10 reams. 25,000 New Testament manuscripts. So if you think that this book is just superstition, let let me get this straight. You believe that Alexander was tutored by Aristotle undefeated in battle and defeated in Persians because we have 10 manuscripts written by two men 400 years after he died, but you are unsure that Jesus actually rose from the dead even though we have 25,000 manuscripts written by nine different people, most of which actually knew Jesus written anywhere from 30 to 70 years after he died. Have you considered, have you ever considered that what this book says about Jesus is 2,500 times more reliable than what this book says about Alexander the Great? or did you not know that? This is not a fairy tale. This happened. Easter is about an event that actually happened and Christianity is based on the event that happened that Easter. Jesus rose from the dead and the people that knew him after he rose from the dead, figured out that since he predicted his own death and resurrection, they should probably go back and write down all the things he taught because I think they're more important now because he is actually the living God and they wrote down all that he taught and all the details that they knew about his life and about his ministry and about his miracles and about his teachings and parables and his death and resurrection because they knew that the resurrection changes everything. And I want you to believe it. If you're unsure about where you're at, not because I want you to believe what I believe, I want you to believe it because I believe it can change you. So the account that we're gonna look at was written by a man named Luke. He is one of the four writers of kind of the biographies of Jesus. We call them gospels. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke was the most educated of the gospel writers. He was actually a physician. He was a doctor. And he writes, even in his introduction, that he thoroughly investigated things so that he felt like he could write the most accurate account possible about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Luke says that the very first Easter was shrouded in mystery and confusion. On that first Easter Sunday morning, some of the women who had been followers of Jesus got up early and went to take spices to treat the body at the tomb that they were going to visit. Now, why did they do that? What did they expect to find at the tomb? A body. That's what everybody expects. And they get there and the stone is rolled away. They're they're, they're perplexed. They go inside and the tomb is empty. They don't see anything. Now. If you were going to visit a loved one or a friend's graveside and you got there and there was a big hole dug and the casket was gone, what would be your immediate first thought? Someone so, was there. Anybody watching online or in the room that would think, "Huh, they might have resurrected." <laughs> it's happened a couple times before. Right? I mean, no one would think that. No one would think that. And they thought the body is probably stolen until all of a sudden two angels show up and they tell them, he is not here. He is risen. And it has happened just as he told you it would happen. So the women are super excited and they run back to see the disciples to tell them because I mean, uh, this is the greatest news ever and Luke writes that their words Seemed like nonsense to the disciples I love that It seemed like nonsense Because can you imagine them rehearsing How they were going to tell the story All the way back Okay So guys Do you remember How Jesus was dead on Friday Does everybody remember that Yeah 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 yeah. So Surprise He's not dead again Yeah What a, uh, Question How do you know that Um, Some angels told us, did you see him, nope. But the angels told us, oh, the angels. So if this resurrection sounds like nonsense to you, you're in good company. The disciples of Jesus, who spent three years under his tutelage, it sounded like nonsense the first time they heard it too. Peter, who's kind of the ringleader of the disciples, gets up, he runs to the tomb. And the women were right, there's no stone at the entrance and the tomb's empty, but he doesn't see any angels, and he doesn't see Jesus, and he doesn't know what to think. And then Luke writes about an incredible encounter. It's found in chapter 24 of Luke. If you've got your Bibles or you've got your app, maybe you're sitting at home in your living room there with your Bible open in your lap, Luke 24. And if you're in the room and you don't have a hard copy, we would love to give you one on the way out of the bookshelves. This is what Luke writes. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, two of the disciples. So these are two of them that were sitting in the room when when the women come to tell them. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they had a lot to talk about because a lot had happened in the last three days. As they discussed, talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I think there's a little bit of our story in this. I want to tell you something I believe so strongly. Jesus is walking with you even if you don't know it. You are not alone You are not walking through grief alone. You are not walking through anxiety alone. You are not walking through hurt alone. You are not walking through parenting struggles alone, divorce alone, disease alone, financial crisis alone, a broken heart alone. You are not alone. But just like these two on the road to Emmaus, there might be something keeping you from recognizing Jesus. Sometimes, It's a really bad church experience. And maybe you've had one. Maybe a so-called Christian hurt you. Or maybe a church leader betrayed you. Or maybe life just stinks in general and you have found yourself asking, where in the world is God in this? I want you to know it might not be that he's not there There might just be something keeping you from recognizing him. What's keeping you from recognizing Jesus? Well, Jesus asked them what they're talking about because he can can sense the sadness in their voices and he can even see it on their faces. And then this is one of my favorite lines in the story. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And y'all, I just think Cleopas missed a real opportunity to set up the greatest one-liner in the story. Cleopas should have said, where have you been? Living under a rock? So Jesus could have said, well, not exactly under one. (laughs) That's my dad joke for the morning. Jesus says, what things? What things, he asked. And so they respond. It's kind of like, hello, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. There's a bit of a tale here in what they've said. He was a prophet, and he was powerful in the way he spoke in word. He was powerful in the things he did in deed, but now he's dead. And then they drop the hammer. But we had hoped that he was the one the one who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. We had hoped that he would be the one that would be the kind of savior that would do the things the kind of savior we thought should do. We had hoped that he would be a military ruler or a political leader who would finally redeem and restore Israel and put our place back where it should be on the global stage. We thought he was that one. And it's easy to get disenfranchised with faith when Jesus isn't quite what you thought he should be and doesn't do what you thought he should do. And then they say this, in addition, some of our women amazed us, and the word here for amazed in the Greek that Luke originally writes this, this scripture in is the word we would get existential from. It's existemi, and it means when we say something is existential, I mean, it's like outside of reality, outside ourselves, beside ourselves. The women have said something so outside the realm of possibility, so outside of our thinking, it's more than amazing. It's like it's crazy talk. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, oh man. But they did not see Jesus. Basically their answer to Jesus is, well we don't know what to think. And Jesus can't believe that they have missed the signs. He can't believe it. And he tells them, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things? I mean, Jesus over and over said that he must suffer at the hands of the chief priests, that he must be sent to die, that he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and rulers. And then Luke writes in verse 27 that, and the beginning with Moses, And all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning them. He starts all the way back in the beginning. And in what we call the Old Testament, he takes the entire Jewish scriptures and he points to out all the ways that they point to him. That they point to a Messiah that would suffer at the hands of the chief priests, That would die for the sin of the world. That would be raised to new life in three days. And they still don't get it and I understand because I'm not sure that you can be um, explained into faith, reasoned into faith. But something's happening in their hearts and they lean into this feeling And when they get to the spot in the road where they're to turn to go to the place where they're going to be in Emmaus, the house, Jesus keeps walking, but they kind of stop in their tracks and they say, hey. And for all they know, he's a complete stranger. They still can't see it. And they say, hey, why don't you come with us? Why don't you come be with us? Why don't you come eat with us, stay with us? And and I think that's such an important thing to don't miss in the story. And and, and I want to just, just think about it a second. What would it mean for you to lean into that feeling and invite Jesus in? Because listen to what happens. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. They had seen that before. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. At that moment, something changed and they realized that they were in the presence of the resurrected King Jesus. Their eyes were open to see the risen Lord. But don't miss the last verse, verse 32. Don't miss the last verse. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? There's, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know who this guy was. But there was something that we experienced. And they made a decision that changed their lives in the course of human history. They invited Jesus in. And we don't need to miss this because this is our story. Because I, I have a fear about what sometimes happens at Easter. We come to church for various reasons. And we experience something. We We feel something, man, I mean, did you experience something in the music this morning? Holy smokes. We feel God's presence, the the worship speaks to us. We feel God and too often, we don't take him home with us. We don't invite him in. We don't invite him into our lives, we don't invite him into our hearts, we don't invite Jesus into our struggles, into our addictions, into our parenting, into our finances. Uh, listen, I'm really glad you're here today. I'm glad you're tuning in online. I'm really grateful to see faces in, in in the room. Last year, I preached to a camera in an empty room on Easter Sunday. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you're here, and I so hope that you will come next week to be a part of the series that we're doing because I believe it can help you make the right decisions at the right time I hope you'll tune in next week so that you can make those right decisions I'm so grateful but more than anything more than me being grateful for you being here today or wanting you to come back next week I want more than anything for you to take Jesus home with you this Easter I want you to invite him in I want you to invite him into your lives. I wish you would just think about, would you lean in? You don't have to have it all figured out. These guys didn't have it all figured out. They were still a little confused and perplexed, but they invited Jesus in anyway. And Because I believe if you will invite Jesus into your heart, into your home, into your life, that the same thing will happen to you. Your eyes will be opened and you will find yourself in the presence of the living God and I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but I can't do for you what only you can do for you. You have to decide whether or not you're going to invite Jesus into your life. And I want you to, because I think you'll find something. That when you experience the resurrected Jesus, everything changes. In fact, here's what I believe, that the resurrection proves who Jesus is and proclaims who you can be. I think you will find that when you are in the presence of God, when you are in the presence of Jesus and when you invite him into your life, that because of the resurrected Jesus, you see a whole new future for yourself. You see who you can be because here's what I believe. If what this book says about Jesus is true, then what it says about you is true. Jesus, the resurrection proves who Jesus is and proclaims who you can be. And maybe people have used this book as a weapon against you. Or maybe you have felt that this book is about condemnation or judgment, that the stories in this have been weaponized to hurt you You may have even felt that it's just a book of rules and regulations, but I want you to know it's not. It's a book full of promises. This isn't judgment, this is hope. And it says that Jesus really resurrected from the dead. And if that's true, then what it says about you is true. It says that in Jesus, when you believe in his resurrection, that you can have eternal life and live forever in heaven with him. And you too will be resurrected one day. It says that in Jesus you can find the way to your purpose, the truth that you've longed for, and the life that you've always hoped for. It says that in Jesus he will never leave you nor forsake you, and that he did not come to condemn you but to save you. It says that in Jesus your sins are forgiven and thrown into the depths of the sea, and that on the cross grace upon grace flowed down in his blood to cover your sins. It says in Jesus, even though you live, you can live forever. It says in Jesus even though you die, you can live with him forever. It says that in Jesus, if you will trust in him that his Father will send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and that you can actually come into the presence of the Father and ask for anything in prayer in Jesus' name. Can you believe it says that? It says that in Jesus, you can find peace that surpasses all understanding, victory over sin and death, freedom from your past, hope for it can be found, your life can be healed. And if Jesus had stayed in the grave, then darkness would have won. But because he walked out of the grave, all of those things are true. About Jesus and about you. The resurrection proves Jesus is who he says he is. The son of the living God, the King of Kings. And guess what? You are who he says you are. Restored, righteous, redeemed, forgiven, whole, daughter of God, and son of God. You can be who the empty tomb proclaimed you to be today. The power that brought Jesus back to life, friend, it can bring the dead parts of you back to life. Because this this is good. The resurrection proves who Jesus is and proclaims who you can be. You see, if Jesus can come back from the dead, then you can come back from anything. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise and the hope we find in the resurrection. I wanna pray for, uh, for my friends in this room today, Lord, that have never invited you in. That have never invited you in. In my prayer, my heart, Lord, I just, I just wanna pray that they would take a step of faith to invite you into their heart, into their life. And if that's you, if you just pray this prayer silently in your heart, in your words, or you can repeat after me that, dear Lord, I invite you into my life. I invite your son Jesus into my heart. I confess that I'm a sinner. I've made some mistakes. And I need you to forgive my sins. I repent of my past. I believe you died on the cross to forgive my sins and rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death live in me jesus so that i can live for you here and live with you forever there's some of us in this room lord that have uh, we made that decision a long time ago but well we need to come back like never before Lord, I want to pray for those whose marriage needs to come back, whose family needs to come back, whose finances need to come back, whose careers need to come back, whose health needs to come back. And Lord, I'm praying today, I'm praying today that they would see that the fight for the comeback has already been won. That we have victory in Jesus and that they would not trust in their own power, God, but that we would lean in to the risen Lord who's right beside us and has been all along. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision today, I just wanna ask you to do something. If if you made a decision to invite Jesus into your life, we wanna walk with you and you've got this card to fill out. There's a spot in there that you can say, I'm committing my life to Christ or renewing my commitment. If you do that, I want you to mark that. If you're, if you're trying to make a comeback and you've got something going on in your life, you put that in there and we, because we want to walk with you. You are not only alone because Jesus is with you. You are not alone because we are with you. So as we close together in song, I want to invite you to fill that out. We're going to sing about the reality that Jesus changes everything. And today, we can find hope. Today, we can find healing in the living God. Won't you stand as we sing?